Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm very excited about our podcast today because we're going to be talking about bonding with traumatized cats. And I have Dr. Annabelle, Annabelle sorry, Bugatti with us today. We call her Dr. Bell, and she's based in Las Vegas, Nevada. She has a PhD in couples therapy. She's a licensed psychotherapist, author, speaker, and she's an attachment expert. So she's an expert on attachment relationships and and leadership. She's also the host of We Heart Therapy Show for Therapists and has just released her second book titled Using Relentless Empathy to Connect with Challenging and Difficult Clients. Boy, we all need that, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) She's been a guest on several television shows, including New York's Fox News, Good Day Street Talk. Dr. Bell is a well-loved and regular expert on relationships, love after divorce, and the intersection of politics and mental health on radio, podcasts, and written media, and is the president of the Southern Nevada Community for Emotional Focus Therapy. So she's certainly overqualified to be on cat talk radio (laughs) and she normally works with people of course but today we're going to talk about using some of her tried and true methods to bond with your traumatized or skittish cat so welcome dr bell thank you so much and you guys might also see me as dr bugatti online my branding guy is kind of deciding if he likes dr bell or dr bugatti so you might see both (laughs) thank you so much for having me (laughs) i think dr bell even though it's b-e-l-l-e you know the old anchoring when you ring a bell and and therapy work that might that might be more uh more appropriate (laughs) yeah So, so normally as I said, you work with well, obviously people relationships, but yeah. along the way, you found that some of those same principles were effective in dealing with your own personal cat, Penelope. So tell us about Penelope and, and how that came to be. So what's really interesting is I've actually had quite a few clients who were pet trainers and we sort of figured out through the course of our couples counseling that, hey, actually some of these things work well with animals too. And I know in a lot of the trainings that we do in the model of counseling, I use emotionally focused therapy. We often view videos of traumatized animals and how the owners have to work and be very patient to create safety so that they can gain their trust so that they can rescue pets who are maybe have been abandoned and you know you see all those things on like the dodo channel and and all those of all the pet rescues and they're just so cute and heartwarming and so you know i figured out i said well you know if if it's really true to form then the same strategies we use you know to to shape secure attachment with adults who have had attachment trauma or trauma in their life, the same principle should apply to pets. And so I started experimenting with Penelope and we got her from a reputable breeder, but we surmised that she was the runt 
and because she's a special breed of cat. She's an exotic short hair, which is the same breed as Garfield. I've always been in love with this cat, so I just had to get <laughs> one. And you, you can't really find this type at the shelter, though I've had lots of shelter kitties. And um, so I started experimenting with her. And, you know, when we first got her, she was about 14 weeks, which I think was just two weeks past when most of the time they're adopted out. And she just mm -hmm. behaved differently. She behaved as if she had been stepped on. Um, she had um, diarrhea in the cat carrier on the trip over from Arizona. I'm in, I'm in Las Vegas. And when she came out of the carrier, she walked up to our other kitty, Spanky, who's the same breed. Ironically, they're half brother and sister. They have the same dad, but different moms and uh, born a year and a half apart. But Spanky looks just like their dad. So she gets out of the carrier and she walks right up to him and snuggles mm -hmm. and we're like, whoa. But with humans, you know, it was a completely different story. And we noticed that the bowel problems had continued and she was just very shy, very skittish. We asked the breeder, did she get stepped on? Did anything happen? And he said, not that we know of. We know she didn't get socialized as early as the other pets, which probably also played an impact. But we just noticed how scared and skittish she was. She's afraid of everything. Mm -hmm. And we know even with adults that when you have trauma, at an early age, it rewires your nervous system, it impacts development, and, you know, it can cause all types of physiological problems. So it makes sense that she would be having these stomach issues. You know, we took her to the vet and we tried all this prescription cat food. None of that worked. I ended up having to make food from scratch to get her to just stop with the, the diarrhea and stuff and finally get her back up to par and then I could introduce her. We put them on a raw food diet. Um, but, you know, with the skittish behavior, you know, pets that have been traumatized need a lot of safety, just like humans do. Mm -hmm. And we're always afraid of threats. You know, just our, our natural survival instincts compel us to scan our regular environment for threats to our safety. And we know that attachment is part of our survival system, right? We, it's, it's survival through bonding, you know, in pairs, in groups, yeah. um, through the social network. And, and even is, animals. Yeah, and that's, and that's that, that bonding through pairs. I mean, that's, that's actually not natural in cats because they've evolved as a solitary species in the wild. Now, you know, they haven't really evolved that much past domestication, but if you, you know, the wild cats, they live solitary. They only come together for, for breeding. So oftentimes us making them have cat to cat relationships when we keep them in captivity is, is difficult on them. But you mentioned something, you know, you, you talk about the hypervigilance and um, yes. what, it, how does that manifest in cats? So multiple things, and something you said is really important is a lot of the cat owners may notice like, but my cat likes to be more alone. Yes, cats do like more solitary time. They can certainly tolerate a lot more solitary time, but they are still attachment creatures. They still like to get close. They still need to come close and bond with others in order for their species to procreate. But also, you know, you notice your cat will only go away for so long before it comes back to get love and affection. So, you know, they can tolerate more solitary time, but they still do crave attachment. And they just, there's, their attachment system works a little bit differently, but 
it's still part of their survival system. And so when your body, this goes for humans and animals, when your body is traumatized, again, as I mentioned, it can rewire your nervous system and it creates this hypervigilance in your body. So your body basically maintains a constant state of anxiety. And you know that this lives in the body as a form of like arousal where you have adrenaline and cortisol constantly releasing in your body. You know, when people will try to relax who have been traumatized, they try to go to sleep, they notice they can only do it for so long before their body just powers back up again in the middle of the night. And they're not able to relax because their body has been rewired, reoriented to always be aware of when's that shoe going to drop. And you notice this with traumatized pets as they hide under things and they're constantly looking and traumatized animals are more oriented towards um, that hypervigilance of danger versus an animal with secure attachment is we're all still going to be looking for danger, but we're not like fixated on it. We're not preoccupied in it. We have a normal amount of threat detection, but it's not overdone to where we're afraid to interact with the rest of the world um, or come out of hiding, you know, right. we're able to have normal relationships. So the body stays on, it floods the body with those stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline makes it hard to, to relax and it makes it hard to attach to others to feel safe when, you know, people might have been a source of danger for an animal. Mm -hmm. And cats are naturally hypervigilant because they're both predator and prey. And so yes. just they're just instinctively constantly on the lookout for things that might eat them. Um, yes. but, but clearly there's a difference when, you know, what, what a normal cat is experiencing in, in a, what should be a safe zone of a house versus a cat that has, has had a lot of trauma. And a lot of our listeners are going to relate to this because a lot of us um, do shelter work with cats in the shelter, which is mm -hmm. highly, highly traumatic for a lot of cats. And we foster yeah. cats and, and kittens that have come out of bad situations. So um, I think most of our listeners will, will very much relate to this. And there are a lot of cats that, you know, I get on, on behavior consult calls that just say, well, my cat's just shy and scared of everything all the time. You know, can you can you change that? And a lot of times, you know, you, you can affect a little bit of behavior modification with, with some security, but, but um, there, there's a lot there that is just yeah. personality of a cat too. Well, and personality is also shaped by our attachment system. Again, if we've had a secure attachment environment, we're more likely to develop a natural, healthy um, personality, we know attachment shapes our view of self and our view of others in the world. And so if we had a secure environment where no trauma occurred, you're more likely to have healthy independence, but also healthy interdependence where I don't avoid bonding with my caregiver, my attachment figure, um, you know, a pet with their pet owner, but I'm also secure going off on my own, but it's not you know, an over avoidance where I'm hiding under things. I refuse to come out. I'm hissing at people who get really close. You know, I'm speaking as if I was a cat, you know, these are all <laughs> signs of traumatized animals. And you'll also notice that small animals, um, you know, you see this even in dogs like chihuahuas and stuff, but smaller cats 
that maybe have been the runt of the litter or they're a smaller breed can be a little more oriented towards trauma because they're so much smaller and they're a little tiny thing in a big world. Everybody and everything is a giant to them. So if you get down on, a, on the ground and see the world through their perspective, you probably be a little freaked out too. So they need extra care. And, and there's some very easy things that pet owners can do to build these these safe and secure environments for their pets, mm-hmm. even if they've already been traumatized. And and before we get to those, because I do want to absolutely um, talk about those things, What what is, you mentioned an attachment figure, and do cats have attachment figures also? Absolutely. This could be like their you know, their mother, whoever birthed them, a lot of animals do tend to stay close or they may have a brother or sister that they were paired off with or another cat in the house. Cats maintain their attachment system is they more like to stay in proximity, not necessarily like up close and cuddling, though some cats really do enjoy cuddling. But, um, you know, with humans, attachment and bonding is all about proximity to caregiver. As I mentioned, cat's attachment system is a little bit different than the human attachment system that it seems they seem a little more aloof. But you notice that oftentimes they're still within eyeshot or earshot of their caregiver. So their owner is often their attachment figure. This is the person that feeds them, that cares for them, that looks out for them, that's responsible for a safe and secure environment. Um, you know, cats out in the wild have to learn to function differently because they don't have somebody taking care of their needs for them. This is just as it is with adults that don't have attachment figures who take care of their needs. They have to adapt to becoming far more autonomous because their survival depends on it. But in a perfect world, we're all having healthy, secure attachment. And that's the way that our brains and our biology and our neurology were all oriented anyway. And not having those actually violates our survival code. Hmm. Interesting. And cats have a a sensitive development period when they're about three to seven weeks old. You know, usually whatever they're not exposed to during that time can be very frightening Mm -hmm. as as an adult cat, which we see a lot in kittens that were raised solo, not with siblings and mom. They're just a solo kitten in a foster home that's maybe a a person that's very sheltering and doesn't have a lot of guests and no one else living with them. Those cats tend to be very shy and and scaredy cats as they call them. What I mentioned too is about how attachment is actually, so it's wired in through the amygdala, the survival part of the brain. And what we've noticed is even in humans is that when children don't get that secure attachment, even as an infant, it actually atrophies their normal development. So neural Hmm. pathways don't get formed. They get formed differently. And even with Penelope, we had seen some developmental issues. Like she would often not like if we played with something on the ground, like a string, it was like her eyes couldn't focus on it or see it per se. Um, There's something with cats and mirrors and it took her a really long time more than other cats that we've had to figure that out. Now she's obsessed with mirrors now, (laughs) but there's still like she, you know, sometimes she just has this look in her eye like she's not really like it seems like there might be a neurological slight development there. I mean, she's functioning normally now, but you can just catch it in her eyes sometimes. My other cat loves the laser. She does, but she doesn't seem to see it at certain angles the same way that he does. So, and she's a much, Mm. much smaller kitty. But 
you know, this will show up. So if you have kittens that have been traumatized or haven't had, you know, maybe they were discarded in a garbage can, which is so shameful that people do that. But, you know, you see these rescue shows and these poor kittens are near death and they have to be revived and resuscitated and, and nurtured and cared for. And, you know, if they're not getting that, then it can totally cause some of their neural pathways to not develop correctly. Mm-hmm. We have, we deal with a lot of feral kittens that come mm-hmm. in right on that cusp, you know, eight, nine, 10 weeks old, sometimes as much as 12 weeks old, and we tame them, we socialize them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's quite a process. And some respond very yeah. quickly and mm-hmm. others, even siblings out of the same litter, some of them just do not, I mean, I have, we have about a 98 and a half percent success rate in taming them, but there's that one every now and then that just will not socialize. And yeah. what are some of the things you that, s- that you found effective to change that foundational behavior shaping? And, and real quick, if you don't mind, I'll explain like a very good reason why you see that. It's exactly the same way in humans. So there are three different attachment strategies. And the most common one associated with trauma is disorganized attachment, where um, people don't or animals don't know when to say no to caregivers that are abusing them. But when someone who's safe wants to come close, they reject them while simultaneously needing them. You know, you see this in adults a lot of times. And, you know, the other two most normal kinds of insecure attachment are avoidant and anxious. So what you notice is, and this is exactly the way with humans, nobody's a carbon copy of each other. So even though you might have grown up in the same house and even witnessed the same trauma, two different people can walk away with two different attachment strategies. So anxious is a type, you know, at the end of the day, both are concerned with the loss of attachment. But anxious attachment is a type where it's, I know that I want that connection. I know that I need it for my survival. I long for it, but I'm so worried about when I'm going to lose it. So I'm going to try to hoard it when I have it. So that's when you run into the ferals that are more open to bonding. They bond a lot faster because it's so, it's like a breath of fresh air or drink of cool water for them. It's like, ah, finally I get this. So you notice that hunger coming forward in them and they're quick to bond versus the avoidant attachment style. Same as with humans. It's like, well, I don't know when I'm going to lose it. So rather than need it and not have it, I'm just going to try to function without needing it. And so they avoid getting really close, even though they may depend on somebody to give them their food, you know, Mm -hmm. same as with humans, Uh, you know, it's better to not need it than to want it and not get it. Right. Right. And both are concerned with the loss of it. They just have two different strategies on how to prevent that loss. Interesting. So, and what's, what do you find is effective to those latter ones that are avoiding all attachment at all costs? Well, and what the same with humans, we find that those who have been traumatized the most, those who seem hardest to love actually need love the most. And I know a lot of pet owners and, and even the human clients that I see get very frustrated with their traumatized partner. It's like, okay, haven't you figured out that I'm safe already? I'm not going to hurt you. You see this a lot on pet blogs. People are like, well, my cat should know 
that it's safe. It's all, it's been two weeks. It's been a month. No, like that's somebody who started from a baseline of zero, like a neutral and has had no negative interactions, but an animal that's had traumatizing experiences and neglect is still a form of trauma. Um, they're starting from negative. So you have to do a lot of work just to get them to a neutral territory before you can even start building up positive interactions. So it takes an incredible, incredible amount of patience and tolerance. That's the first and foremost is don't try to rush your pet through that process. Mm -hmm. Just realizing the world is a very scary place. And while you know that you're safe, they don't know, they don't have the benefit of knowing the way that you do. And the way trust is built is consistency over time. And this is where a lot of pet owners may fall short is that they give it a good gusto for a little while and then they get frustrated and discouraged and give up and then it becomes inconsistent. Inconsistent caregiving is a sure straight path to trauma. And so you don't want to fall into the inconsistent caregiving category. You want to, whatever you're doing, just make sure that it's consistent mm -hmm. so that your pet knows over time that I can rely on you, I can trust in you. And I mean, with Penelope, it took us two years before she even started really warming up. You know, our other cat, Spanky, so our two cats are Spanky and Penelope. <laughs> and Spanky has always been a little more dog than cat. Like he loves to be out in the middle of people. He's super social. If we have guests over and we're congregating around the front door saying our goodbyes, he'll come and sit right in the middle of the circle. <laughs> he has to be where we're so fun, but not Penelope. She's always hiding, always running, lurking in the corners. You call her name, you let her know you see her. She like beelines out of the room. So it took about two years to even get her to stop running away from my husband. So, and, and again, we surmised that either she was stepped on or on accident or something happened possibly either by a male or somebody who was really tall because my husband's over six feet. So he's a pretty tall guy. So um, I've had to teach some of the secure attachment principles to my husband and help teach him these strategies. And I've been able to shape that behavior because I already knew it myself and I was doing it. I was able to build that attachment with her and I can hold her. You know, I have a special way that I hold her in her arm, in my arm and help her feel safe. And she'll actually approach me and ask me for comfort, which is so amazing, but she's not yet quite to that place with my husband, but at least she'll communicate with him, ask him for food. And I know, well, I guess if it's a cat talk, radio people aren't going to assume I'm crazy when I say that, that animals do communicate and you know the difference in their cries. Like a real child, you know when they want to play, you know when they're hurt, you know when they're Absolutely. hungry. And you're so right. Patience and consistency is key. That's key with all behavior modification work. And, um, and a lot of people, I get so many people, I had one just this week say, you know, well, how long is this going to take? And I said, well, it depends on the cat. You know, we got to meet the cats where they are and you got to yes. go their pace and their speed. And they said, well, well, we have company coming for Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, well, that's your schedule. It might not, yeah. might not be the your cat cats. Not schedule. like, oh, you have guests. I better hurry up and feel better. So you have a good Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> it takes as long as it takes. <laughs> it does. And it takes, it takes time. It takes a long time mm -hmm. to change routine and expectations in a, yes. in a being and, and even longer to reshape traumatic events, yes. you know, Yes. And it, it also depends on the length of trauma. So if a cat went longer being neglected or had repeated trauma, it's going to take them a lot longer to 
rebuild that trust than a cat that was rescued fairly soon into neglect or just had like a one-time occurrence of a traumatizing event. So right. type, of, type and duration of trauma is also going to have an impact on that and how early it happened if the cat had already developed any kind of secure attachment strategies and just needs a little bit to be warmed up or if it happened really young and it's imprinted into their recircuitry. It, it takes a, wh- a while to recircuit the nervous system. It can be done. We know that there's plasticity, so it's not a forever kind of thing. But again, you have to be super, super patient. Yeah. And it and it's so important. You know, this work really can't happen in a shelter environment. We do our best as behavior specialists in a shelter to do BMOD work and, you know, and there's, there's of course, taming the feral kittens, but then there's also these adult cats that come in that come from, you know, Lord knows what traumatic backgrounds into a Mm -hmm. traumatic environment and thinking that a behavior team is going to be able to really affect that cat's response and and attachment system in a few weeks or maybe a month's Mm -hmm. worth of time is, is unrealistic. It's why it's so important that we cultivate behavior fosters, you know, really educate people how to foster these cats that emotionally need them the most and do that in a, in a foster home to prepare that cat for its forever home. It's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's some other basic strategies. And I did write a blog on this on my website, drbugatti.com. And I have a blog where you have a lot more detail about this. But, you know, the basic question in attachment that we found that is at the back of everyone's mind is, are you there for me? And are you there for me? A-R-E is an acronym that we use for are you accessible, responsive, and engaged. So accessibility for a pet means I know that if I'm in trouble, if I need food, if there's something wrong with the cat box, you know, if I need love, that you're somebody who's open, that I can go to and you're not completely closed off and unavailable. So I know that I can get that from you if I need, I can get my basic needs met. But responsive means if I come to you, are you going to actually pay attention and respond to me? A lot of pet owners can kind of dwindle in the responsive category. It's like they, they hear the cat meowing, but they just kind of ignore it. They walk on. And if your cat is traumatized, you really can't ignore them. And one of the foundational ways that you really have to start responding is just by their presence. A traumatized pet needs to know do you see me? Especially if they've been kicked or stepped on, if they're a little animal, when you walk into a room, you always have to be scanning for them at your feet and you have to respond to them. Let them know, I see you, call their name. You know, so like when it's Penelope, you know, I tell my husband, because you're a really big guy and she's a really little cat. So when you're walking in a room, you can't just walk past because she's going to think that you're going to stumble and trip over her. That reinforces her trauma. So she needs to know that you see her at her feet, at your feet. So when you walk through a room, you've got to pay attention. So he Mm -hmm. started paying attention and he sees her and he, hi, Penelope, I see you. And then she knows. So they kind of greet each other. She makes eye contact with him. He makes eye contact with her. He calls her name, says, I see you. 
And so she starts to know, okay, I can rely on him to see me, to notice me, to pay attention. And I know that he's responding to me, which is super, super important in cultivating trust. So, you know, also when she comes with the cries, you know, like with me, when she cries, I call her name. I come to her. If she's not coming to me, if she's in another room, like signaling for me, you know, this is again, part of the attachment system is even infants and adults, you know, infants have a different cry. Obviously, adults have different ways of signaling for their caregivers uh, or their ro romantic attachment partner. But as babies, they have those cries and they're designed to evoke a response from their caregiver so that they can get their needs met. This is an evolutionary attachment design and animals have the same thing. So when she's signaling me for help, I'm responding to her. I may not know off the bat what her signal is about, but I call her name, I come and find her. Hi, Penelope, what are, you, what are you doing? What do you need? You know, and she'll meow back and I'm like, okay, what do you need? And then I noticed the more I would respond to her, the more she would start to communicate with me. Then she would start walking away. So I'd follow after she'd look back at me like, are you paying attention? Are you with me? Okay, I'm with you. I'm following her. And eventually she would lead me to wherever it was. I learned that if she goes into the living room, she's wanting to play. If she goes into the kitchen, she's wanting food. So I taught this to my husband to start paying attention. And she's gotten better. The more that she's learned, she can trust us to respond. The more sophisticated her communication has gotten. And now we can really tell the difference in the cries. You know, when she's really hungry or when she's panicked, it's like that sharp kind of scream, mm -hmm. you know, or if she's hurt or something. But if it's just, I want to play, you know, it's definitely a different sound. But if you consistently respond, again, that's, that's the key is res consistently respond. But then notice that second part was I engaged with her is that I didn't just, oh, hi, Penelope, and keep reading the newspaper. You know, it's like I made eye contact with her. I let her know I'm with you. And then she was directing my path, wanted me to go with her. And I went with her. So I was engaging with her. And playing is the same thing. Either you can set something up for them to babysit themselves and play on their own, or you can do an activity where you're actually engaging together. And just like an actual baby, the more that you engage with them, the more you stimulate them towards the social network. And Absolutely. It totally helps their development. The same thing with cats. So, but with the traumatized pet, you know, you've also, I like how you said, meet them where they're at is you don't want to expect that at the end of all this, they're necessarily going to be this like lap kitty. They may never be a lap kitty, but they will learn to love and they learn that it's safe. They'll allow you close and the way that they may receive love, maybe less than other cats, but you got to be okay with that. Change yeah. your expectations. Let the cat build your expectations that as they feel safe, they're going to teach you how they receive love. Maybe they just like to be in your presence and they're going to follow you room to room. And when they do, you just talk to them like, Hey, how you doing? You know, I used, I had a cat as a kid and I used to read magazines to her and it was, I swear she was actually looking at the pictures because I'd show it to her and she'd sniff the page, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was just really fascinating. It's just these ways of engaging. And I know like at least cat owners aren't going to think I'm crazy, but. No, no, not know. at all. And in fact, like I said, a lot of us 
uh, you know, crazy cat people already do that. You know, I yeah. always, always, if my cat's in a room, look at him and talk to him. And when I'm at mm -hmm. the shelter, I'm constantly making eye contact with the cats that are comfortable because that can be mm -hmm. seen in a cat as a dominance gesture and, and something, mm -hmm. a cat that's in a, you know, heightened state of fear and anxiety. Yes. You don't want to make direct eye contact with you, do it out of the side of your eye. But, but like my cat, yeah. that's perfectly social. I mean, we talk all the time. And your cat yes. has done, Penelope's done an amazing job at training you to come when she calls. Yes. That's awesome. That's the yes. other thing I, yes. I, uh, I warn people of is you be careful what you respond to because whatever it is you're responding to, you're going to see more of. <laughs> yes. And if yes. every time they claw the couch, you go over and pick them up, there's going to be a whole lot more couch clawing going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've luckily, we've gotten lucky with the cat clawing. We actually do claw caps on our on our cat so yeah. that we can protect our furniture but you know we've learned a lot of people are worried like oh if I do this a lot then our cat's going to expect it all the time no it's it's not like that we're not talking about an um it's kind of like anxious attachment where it's that hoarding where they're just going to demand so much more that's not actually the case it's just secure connection where there is a normal level that they can engage with you and it will get better and more sophisticated but part of secure attachment means again i'm also comfortable being by myself and i don't have to be scared i don't have to be afraid for danger that's going to pop in but i can also have secure connection with my caregiver where i'm not avoidant of interacting with them communicating my needs if my cat box is dirty instead of peeing outside the box i can go and communicate with you and get you to figure it out and then you'll take care of my needs without us having to resort to behavioral problems. Right. So it's right. not going to turn into this like, oh, you're never going to be able to do anything on your own because the cat's always going to be talking to you. That's not it, you know. Right. But, you know, especially if you have a cat, you know, who's in the early stages of trauma, you know, one of the first things about meeting them where they're at is you want to let them know that they're safe. But if they give you warning signs, you know, still stay close in the area, talk to them, acknowledge their presence. But when they give you a signal to back off, follow their lead, let them know that you are responding to them, that you have no desire to cause danger to them. If they know, again, that you can respond to me when I say that I'm scared and I maybe hiss and get you to back off, I know that as you take the lead, I can feel safer with you. So after you do this for quite a few times, then maybe I don't hiss as much when you come close because I can trust that you have my best interest and you're not going to force yourself on me. So it's going to be a progression. So as I start to feel safer and, and the first part of feeling safe may be just tolerating your presence closer and closer without hissing or clawing. Right. That could and take we, months. We use negative reinforcement in that case. So if mm -hmm. we're like in the mm -hmm. shelter or a cat's in the home and you're the big mm -hmm. scary thing and you approach mm -hmm. the cat until you see it respond with hissing or recoiling and you mm -hmm. stop and just talk mm -hmm. nicely, make side glances softly mm -hmm. to them. And then as soon as you mm -hmm. see them relax or stop hissing, then you back away. So you're yes. in essence rewarding them for calm. And you find that you can get a little bit closer and a little bit closer each time and, and build on that. That actually builds trust that so says, okay, well, when I calm down, she leaves. Okay. And then yeah, that removal of the scary you know, stimulus is, is actually reinforcing the calm behavior. 
Right. Well, and through the attachment lens, it just says that when I give you a signal, I can trust that you're listening to my signals and that you're going to pay attention and respond. And when I can trust you to do this, then I don't have to get as scared and fight as hard to get what I need. And as I start to see you safe, because I can trust you to respond to me, it's going to be safer to let you closer and closer. And, and Penelope herself sometimes still gets scared. And so what I've learned to do is if she, I don't know, like maybe I move too quickly through the house or something just kind of sets her off and she's in the same hallway you know if I get the signal from her that she looks a little scared I'll actually stop in my steps and I'll just kind of wave my hand as if you know you can go you know I let her know that I'm not going to scare you I'm not going to rush past you I'm going to stop I'm going to respond I'm going to allow you safe passage I'm not going to chase after you you know again a lot of pet owners get really anxious because they want that cuddly cat and they're dealing with a traumatized cat and their cat is not ready. You are not safe. And it's not because you've necessarily caused trauma. They don't know how to distinguish you between another stimulus of danger. It's people in general could just be scary. So the first part is just tolerating your presence. And then as you get to a safe baseline there, then you add a little bit more until that gets safe and then a little bit more. So it's just slow and persistent contact over time but again you have to respond to them if they give you that cue that says i'm not okay with this let them know that you've got their signal and that you're going to attune and respond in kind okay i'm not going to push it i'm not going to push mm -hmm. it and as mm -hmm. they know that i can trust you to not push it then i can start seeing you as safe and i can let you closer a little bit more at a time and like i said it took us two years to really see a huge change in Penelope. And now when we have parties, when we have friends over, we notice she actually gets a little curious and she starts coming around and visiting people, which she never would have done in the past. So this is a process that you really have to stick with and be patient with. It takes place over time, but mm -hmm. eventually you will get there. And I can't stress enough that importance of interacting. You know, one of the things that that we do as part of our shelter behavior modification program. And then also in homes, I recommend is two things, interactive prey play, because not only do they need to be able to expel some of that pent up energy from not being able to hunt as much as they would as a, as a mm -hmm. wild creature. So they need yeah. that for other reasons, but it also is interactive with you. You're providing something yes. fun and delightful. So that counter conditioning pairing of, of you and the fun event helps them to trust you more, but also clicker training. That's an amazing mm -hmm to do with cats that helps you bond with them because you're not you know you're not forcing them to sit in my lap you're not flooding them with scary experiences you're teaching them at a distance you know to come to your finger they get rewarded you know mm -hmm. I teach them to sit up I teach them to spin all kinds of things and they mm -hmm. enjoy it and they're getting rewarded and it's this great interaction they're having with you and it's amazing how quickly then next thing you know, they're pushing up against you, rubbing against you in mm -hmm. between cues. So those two things of interaction are very, very, very important to traumatize cats. And tell me, so can a person with a traumatic background that still has work to do for themselves to help a cat? Absolutely, absolutely. And oftentimes it can be a great process for the two of you to go about together. And because you understand each other's insecurities and you understand danger, it can be an absolute, 
you know, wonderful way for both people to develop secure attachment. And for a lot of people, pets are their safe attachment figure. You know, how many people say I prefer animals to people because people have really hurt me, but animals have always been safe. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows how to love and they, they know what it's like to not feel safe and to not have love. So even if you're working on your way to repairing your own trauma, you can absolutely, absolutely help your traumatized pet. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Any final tips or tricks for us for bonding with traumatized cats? I think it's, again, remember that ARE, are you there for me? Are you accessible, responsive? Are you going to engage with me? And you can get a little bit more detail from our talk today on my blog, drbugatti.com is my website. And you can go to my blog and you'll find the article that I wrote about um, creating secure attachment with your traumatized pet. Great. Well, Dr. Bugatti, thank you very, very much for being with us here today and taking your time to help us all learn more about bonding with traumatized cats. It's such an honor. Thank you, everyone. And if you have any ideas or suggestions for podcast topics, please email them to me, molly at cattalkradio.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Cat Behavior Solutions and Cat Talk Radio, and follow us, follow us on Instagram. Check out our blog at catbehaviorsolutions.org. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now... Go make a connection with your feline friend.